Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104.6 and 1 podcast. Today, I am joined by fellow podcast owner, fellow podcast host of his own of the Homefield podcast. Welcome back, Kyle DeBrow. What's going on, bro? How you doing, man? What's good, Kev? What you been up to? You know, watching my teams give me heart attacks, enjoying life, living at home. About to play this Miles Morales. Just doing, <laughs> doing what I can for society, playing my part. There you go. That's what we'd like to hear. Hell yeah. So today I got a couple of topics for you today. We're going to talk about some games that I found most intriguing for the NFL this past weekend. Uh, We're going to talk about some rookie of the year campaign discussions and debates and, uh, you know, possibly seeing uh, some MVP favorites out here, you know, trying to see what candidates you believe are uh, truly contending outside of Pat Mahomes. You ready to go? For sure, man. Let's get after it. All right, let's get it. So the first game I want to really dive into is going to be the Cardinals and Seattle Seahawks game from this past Thursday. Uh, both teams at the point of uh, beginning of the game were both 6-3. and three. Arizona was obviously on a hot streak, winning the last two in a row in that late-game thriller against Buffalo. Seattle seemed to be on the up-and-up, but lately, as of the last couple of games, with that defense being as bad as it has been, they went on a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Seattle finds a way to squeak this out with a Kyler Murray shoulder injury later in the game, or should I say earlier in the game, and they win the game 28-21. to So uh, what are your thoughts on the game, man? Are, are the Cardinals for real, or are they only as good as Kyler brings them? Well, I think Kyler is going to carry that team as far as he can because, to be honest with you, like the, the last couple of weeks with that Cardinals defense, they have been suspect because they played the Bills before playing the Seahawks last week. And, I mean, everybody forgets about the fact that Patrick Peterson, who's an all-pro corner for the Cardinals, gave up pretty much a potential game-winning touchdown to Stephon Diggs with like 35 seconds left. But nobody remembers that because Kyler Murray literally threw the only thing that I would consider would be like a fadeaway Hail Mary pass to to DeAndre Hopkins, ends up bringing it down and gets them the game-winning touchdown. But... That defense is suspect, and that defense can be had if you have a decent enough quarterback that can really hit his hit his passes and spread the ball around to the receivers and the running backs out of the backfield. And I think in this game, I was expecting like a high-scoring game. And to, to be honest with you, I thought this, this score was going to be in the 30s just because Seattle's defense is like literally the worst passing defense in NFL history up until this point. And I thought Kyler and... I thought Kyler Murray was going to just take over that game, put up 30, 35 points against that defense. But Seattle's defense actually came to play. They got some pressure. Carlos Dunlap, who was just traded from Cincinnati, was making a huge impact for that Seattle defense, getting up, got two sacks and got the game-winning sack to really clinch the win for the Seahawks. So it was funny because I thought that the Cardinals were really the hotter team coming into this matchup against Seattle, and Seattle was really kind of – what I would say they were kind of sputtering after that game against the Rams 
where Russell had a couple picks. The team just didn't look like the just didn't look like they were in rhythm whatsoever. And then they bounced back in a huge divisional game with the Cardinals. And I, I mean, I remember picking this game, and I was literally fifty fifty. You could flip a coin. You can make a case for either team. But I picked Seattle just because I thought that Russell Wilson would have a bounce back game. And, and for the most part, I thought he did. He had a pretty efficient game. I think he only had like four or five incompletions that game. Ended up throwing two touchdowns. But overall, I thought Seahawks looked pretty good. And I thought Carlos Hyde, who had been hurt the last couple games, I thought he made an impact as well. He didn't get 100 yards rushing, but they gave him some good carries and he was able to get a rushing touchdown as well. So I think all in all, like, you know, that, that was one of the best divisional games of the year and it definitely lived up to the hype. But it didn't surprise me that Seattle was able to get the win there. I feel like I'm on the opposite spectrum. Uh, I mean, I think my fantasy bias hopes kind of took over because I've got Kyler Murray in my in my big league with Isabel's dad, and he's been literally averaging like 27 to 28 points a week. And mm-hmm. I was just really enjoying watching that Arizona offense kind of light it up. And I figured, you know, with the hype train after that big Hail Mary to D-hop, I really thought that, you know, Seattle coming off a struggling game, Arizona coming in there hot, I, I genuinely saw Kyler lighten them up without any any moments hesitation. I I, I thought this man was going to have anywhere upwards of uh, three hundred yards, three touchdowns, maybe even a rushing touchdown or two. I just mm-hmm. like you said, this this Seattle defense has been nothing but disappointing, other than the addition of the Carlos Dunlap sign uh, trade. So I was like, you know, Kyler's not only mobile, Kyler can sling it. His accuracy's improved. Their running game is doing what they need to do. And I figured, you know, maybe the defense would kind of ship up after allowing the Buffalo Bills to do what they did. But then again, DK Metcalf isn't exactly someone you can plan for. And then Tyler Lockett went out there and did his thing. I mean, what do we got here? Tyler Lockett had 67 yards for a TD. DK had uh, 46 in a TD. And then they dropped that end zone with the fastball that kind of hit him in the face mask. In the that back was of the a end fastball. Yeah. Greg Olson, unfortunately, was out, is out for the season with a torn Achilles. So, I mean, they did lose somebody, but let's be honest. They he didn't tear his Achilles. Huh? He didn't? No, he tore his plantar fascia. Oh, he tore his foot. Oh, I'm, I read it wrong. And then during the game, I'm pretty sure all the That's analysts it. were literally like, yo, his Achilles is I, gone. I, I, I thought it was. I, I think I even tweeted it out when it happened. I thought it was his Achilles. But I no, I, I think it was his plantar fascia. Well, you know, we make errors out here. We're human. But, I mean... Uh, no, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing at first. I, I like when I first thought like it, it was his foot. I thought for sure it was his Achilles. I was actually really surprised that it wasn't his Achilles, but it was his plantar fascia. I mean, they don't really use tight ends out there in uh, Seattle anyway. I mean, I went back in the day, or not even back in the day. What was it? A few years back when they had Jimmy Graham, they didn't even use him at all either. So it's the point of like, if you can't utilize a tight end at six five six six with the vertical of an NBA basketball player. I don't know what you're missing, but I mean, Seattle just doesn't set it up for for their for their tight ends, man. So Greg Olson was a great signing in the offseason, We all thought. Turned out he isn't really doing much anyway. But I will agree with you in the sense of they came out there and they punched Arizona in the mouth with a run game. Carlos High was averaging 5.6 yards a carry. Even Russell was averaging 4.2. Both Scarborough, the former running, the former Detroit running back, uh, he was averaging 5.2 yards a carry. D- DJ Dallas had a 13 yard scramble, so it's like. They did what they needed to do in terms of draining the clock. They kept the ball out of Kyler's hands, and when Kyler did have the ball, he didn't He didn't really look the same after that injury to the shoulder that they had to keep heating up throughout the game. Kyler was 29 of 42. Uh, he did have a good day in the air in terms of yards, 269 and two TDs, but their run game just could not get it going, and that is kind of Kyler Murray's bread and butter, the uh, you know the zone read, 
Kenyon Drake was just coming off of an injury. He really didn't do much, 29 yards. Uh, Chase Edmonds, their third down back, even sometimes you know providing a spark every now and again. He only had 13 yards, so I think uh, Arizona was limited playing from behind, and I think that they didn't really have as many opportunities as they would have liked to. I was really surprised at how well Seattle's pass defense was holding up because there were a lot of there were a lot of times when the Cardinals were trying to pass the ball where Kyler would just kind of be sitting in the pocket waiting for guys to get open and he'd be in the pocket for a good three to five seconds and then nobody would get open and then he would just have to scramble and try to get some yards with his legs so and it was the it was pretty much the opposite of what I thought was going to be like the outcome of the game I thought Kyler was going to light up that that Seahawks defense, but I give Seattle's defense credit. They showed up. They, they played as well as I'm be honest. Like I was really surprised that they played that well defensively against Kyler because at this point, because Kyler is an MVP candidate at this point, he's, you know, he's arguably a top three MVP candidate at this point. And you, you held him under 300 yards, which is no, is no easy feat. 300 total you know, yards for, for, nonetheless. Yeah, which is no easy feat. So, to I, I got to give Seattle's defense credit there. I was not expecting that, and they stepped up, and they were able to get a good pass rush on him too. Which, I, if you get a decent pass rush on Kyler, and that's no easy feat either because of how mobile he is. Good on Seattle. I give them credit for that. Absolutely, and I think that that's a big tutelage to the acquisition of Jamal Adams and the return of Jamal Adams from his groin injury. I know a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, have been shitting on Jamal Adams, especially since he's been gotten to Seattle. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of passes batted down. He doesn't have a lot of interceptions or forced fumbles or anything like that, but it's weird that the way that they utilize him is more of in the nickel linebacker position, uh, safety blitz, stacking him in the box, uh, pressuring the quarterback, even running the spy at some points during this game to watch Kyler. And mm-hmm. I, I, I want to put something out there. For people that don't understand the concept of football, just because you aren't putting up numbers doesn't mean you aren't being effective. Um, the best cornerbacks in the league don't exactly have stats because they're not thrown at, if we're being honest. Um, mm-hmm. Jamal Adams may not be the best cover safety. He may not be the best playmaking safety out in open field, but he does make an offense plan and scheme away from him because when you have to run towards the side of Jamal Adams, nine times out of 10, he is already in the box waiting. And then Seattle's blitz packaging, sending Jamal Adams, faking him, bringing him down into the box, dropping him into coverage. He is just your utility player he can play the corner he can play outside open field he can come down into the box and tackle and he can pressure the quarterback so i mean jamal adams is a massive difference maker on that side of the ball is the defense overall terrible yes but i mean when jamal adams when when 32 is healthy or 30 what's his number 33 33 when 33 is out there on that field and he is healthy he is a difference maker and i'm tired of people kind of discrediting his game because Without Jamal Adams, his defense was pretty bad. In the last two games that Seattle has won, Jamal Adams has been on that field, and he has had an effect on the defense. So shout-out to Jamal Adams, man. The, the guy's a difference maker. For sure. Couldn't say it any better than that. So, I mean, I want to know your thoughts, man. This is, to me, the battle of second place or battle of runner-up because right now we both said it on your podcast yesterday. Go check out home, the Homefield Podcast on Anchor, on uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, YouTube as well. Subscribe to my boy's channel. Um... I really, really, really think that Pat Mahomes has kind of taken the realms because these two quarterbacks have struggled in the last couple of weeks in terms of turnovers and underperforming. But if you had to pick right now, if the season were to end, who is your MVP favorite behind Patrick Mahomes? 
God. That's a good question. Um, I mean, at this point, it's a toss-up between Kyler and Russell. Because I think if you take Russell out of that situation in Seattle, that team is not even close to playoff contention. He is really the main force that's keeping that team afloat. Now, the last two weeks, the defense has played better than I expected, so that is nice to see. But Russell overall... He's he's had an he's I think he's had an outstanding season. Now he has been turning the ball over the last couple of weeks, which he does need to turn those down a little bit. But he got off to a hot start for the, for the beginning of the season. He's been consistent in the biggest game of the year. He he was I wouldn't say he was lighting it up, but he was efficient and he made the plays that he needed to. And then you know to kind of talk about Kyler for a little bit, Kyler. I think there's a lot of hype around Kyler just because, and I'm not even talking about the Hail Mary pass that he made a couple a couple weeks ago against the Bills. I think a lot of people's expectation with the Cardinals, I, I don't think a lot of people had this expectation that the Cardinals would be like this competitive in the NFC West when you have teams like Seattle and the Rams who are gunning for that top spot in the NFC West. But I think the Cardinals have exceeded expectations like just for me personally, because I thought they were going to end up somewhere around like nine or like nine and seven, eight and eight, somewhere around there. Just because I didn't think Kyler would have the significant step that he took this year, but he's a huge part of the reason why they've succeeded so far. And even though the fact that they're six and four, they're only one game out of the NFC West with Seattle at seven and three and LA at seven and three as well. So. I think with Kyler, like I, I kind of have to see how he finishes the season. If he's able to keep making the impact that he's had with basically throwing the ball 30 to 40 times and then getting some solid yards on the ground with his legs. And if they if they finish somewhere around 11 and 5, maybe 10 and 6, he's definitely he could definitely be in that runner up spot. He's definitely going to get a decent amount of MVP votes. It wouldn't surprise me. And Russell is definitely going to get an MVP vote this year. It's absolutely insane that Russell Wilson has never gotten MVP votes throughout his entire career because he's been balling out the last couple of years. He has more wins through the first nine seasons more than Tom Brady, which the dude has just been a model of consistency. And I think a lot of people have just, I, I think people have gotten too complacent with how Russell, how good Russell Wilson is because if he is not playing at or if he plays below the level that he's been playing at, Seattle's going nowhere. But because he stepped up to the plate and has been playing at an MVP level, that's why they're number they're tied for first in the NFC West at seven and three and arguably one of the best teams in the NFC. I mean, you kind of took a lot of the words out of my mouth. I, I will say that I disagree in terms of who the better one of the two is, only because well, one, I like to disagree and I like to make points. And two, both quarterbacks, let's be let's be frank, if they're not playing, these teams are nothing. So, I mean, that's that's a given. Two, or, or should I say three, uh, I don't think anybody saw Arizona being as good as they are this season. Seattle, both of us talked prior to the season started, that was, that was a... Not a personal favorite, but a team that we expected to make the postseason, but not only the postseason to make the NFC Championship if Green Bay or if New Orleans did not. They were definitely my second or third team to make it out of the NFC. Versus Arizona, I 
you couldn't have given me any amount of money for me to tell you couldn't have given me any amount of money and told me that Kyler would be having the season he's having. The addition of DeAndre Hopkins, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I think that they robbed yeah. Houston blind, but... Shout out to Bill O'Brien. Shout out to Bill O'Brien, man. Gotta love him. Very sad that we won't be seeing him this season, man. Just almost disappointing. But I, I think Kyler's really kind of playing up, and that's a big shout to Cliff Kingsbury. I think the way that he's running that, that offense, I think that caters to Kyler's strengths. I think mm-hmm. ki- giving Kyler the freedom to roll out, uh, run the zone read when he wants, you know, flick the ball downfield when he feels it's necessary. I mean, granted, he has a lot to learn. He's only in year two or th- what is it, year two, three? This year two. So Kyler's out here competing for an MVP in his second year. He's leading Arizona to an amazing record, a lot better than what most would think. Uh, they're seven points away from taking from furthering their division lead, and you know maybe a shoulder injury keeps him from from uh, making some throws, but nevertheless, I think that Kyler is just in a better place for an MVP. Record doesn't always show it. Most valuable player means that this team would be nothing without him, and I think that Arizona's record would probably be 30 times worse with the roster that they have than the Seattle Seahawks. Those are fair points. I think, I just think overall, like, Kyler's still learning just because, like you said, I mean, like we said, he's only in his second season as an NFL quarterback. Which is scary. Russell Russell Wilson is literally at the peak of his profession. Like, he is, I mean, I remember he said it, like, early in the season. Like, when they were really running and gunning on offense, he was telling the offensive coordinator, it was like, let's get things, let's speed things up, let's open things up, because, like, Russell's been in the game for for almost a decade at this point, and he just has this overabundance of confidence because he knows that he could march down the field with relative ease just because... He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If I mean, arguably, I wouldn't say he's the best, but he's definitely one of like the top three quarterbacks in the league. And it's just at this point, I think with Kyler, I I, I think the verdict's still out on Kyler because I want to see like how he keeps progressing in like years like three and four because I think like the big thing to me is when his rookie contract ends up and he's playing in that contract year, is he going to be? like literally at an MVP level and he's already kind of at that level in his second year, but I'm on the mindset that he can go even farther. It's just, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I think give Kyler another year or two and you can make it, you can make a pretty valid case that he, he's probably going to be a top five quarterback at that point. But I think with Kyler, give him a couple years and I think he'll be there, but Russell's already there. Russell's at, literally at the top of his game and i think i think he deserves shine and i think there's i think there's been a lot of people that have not given him the proper amount of shine that he deserves because he is just he's just a a solid solid quarterback for that team and it was like it's like we said like if he's not playing at the level that he's playing at they're a mediocre team so that's why I think Russell is a little bit ahead of Kyler in that sense. Valid points. Valid points. I'm just looking forward to these NFC West battles for years to come with Kyler being, what, 23. Yeah. Russell just hit 30-31. Jared Goff's like 26. 
I don't mm-hmm. know what the hell is going on in San Francisco. I think Jimmy G's gone after this season, but that's a topic for another day. Nevertheless, the NFC West is going to be probably the most entertaining division in football for the next you know five to six years. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's going to be some battles yeah. with those three quarterbacks. You, I mean, you could have a situation where you have completely you have completely different divisional winners every year for the next five to six years, just because all three of those teams can make their own case to get to the top of the NFC West. Yeah, and the only other and the only defensive minded or not defensive minded, the only strong defensive one out of the three would be the LA Rams. Because right now, like we both said, Arizona and Seattle are suspect at best on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. For sure. Transitioning into the next game, which would be the Green Bay Packers versus the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Indy squeaking out the win in overtime, thirty-four to thirty-one, and yeah, um, I was not comfortable during this game. I was up and down to thing. say the least, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, anything with a Lee at the end of it. I just, I wasn't really, I wasn't really here. I was watching it at my girlfriend's house, so I had to have a filter because Lord knows I'd be horse as shit. To, to this day, actually, if I was able to say what I wanted to say to those boys, because if, heaven forbid, I've told you, man, give me the mic, those boys will be motivated. <laughs> Let me tell you, this game was probably one of the best games I've seen all year. This game was also probably one of the most stressful games because of how much I invested my mind and my heart in, <laughs> into this game, man. <laughs> What were your thoughts on the game? Well, the, the one thing that I kind of missed from this game from you was you weren't tweeting like every like 30, 45 seconds. Cause like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen like this, this Dane cook special where he was at Madison square garden and he's talking about like these TV commercials when they show like really like, um, kids that are going hungry in Africa and, he basically does like this comparison of a guy who's like very caring and sweet. And then this guy, basically he, he reps like this guy in like a, a black, uh, biker jacket and just comes in and knocks the door down to make everybody feel like crap because like they're not doing anything to help these kids. And like that type of mindset, that type of like, just kick the door, kick the doors down just to get people motivated. The way that Kevin tweets, is this, is really the same thing that I think about when Dane Cook does that impersonation at that Madison Square Garden gig he did a few years ago. But overall with the game, like I was really surprised at how like literally like this was a tale of two halves because I thought the Packers in the first half were the better team. Even though the, the Colts were keeping keeping it close, but the Packers definitely had the edge in the first half. And then the second half, it just the script com- completely flipped. I don't even think the Packers had the ball like more than like five to seven minutes in the second half. And what the Colts were able to really do well is that they were they were able to to have long, sustainable drives that ended up in points pretty much every time they got the ball. And then the Colts' defense showed out in the second half. They held them to only three points. Really, they only held them to that was it that that field goal at the end of the game. Yeah. Outside of that, I, I mean. When the defense pitches a shutout in the second half, you're going to give the offense a bunch of chances to, to get points, and that's exactly what they did. I thought Phillip Rivers had a solid game. You know, outside of that one interception he had, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty good. He spread the ball around 
everywhere on Sunday. He threw to 12 different receivers. So he, I like the fact that he was able to really kind of spread the wealth throwing the ball. And then with the Colts running game, I, you know, with them, it's definitely kind of like a running back committee. But I, I was happy to see that Jonathan Taylor was definitely getting the bulk of his carries because for a rookie, I like what Jonathan Taylor brings. Obviously, he still has to improve certain aspects of, certain aspects of his game. No way, shape, or form is he perfect in that regard. But he was able to get some good chunk plays. He was able to turn a couple plays that looked like they were going nowhere and able to get 15, 16-yard carries and you know, able to get first downs off of that. And really, like the, that's the best thing that you could hope for, especially with a rookie running back. Just get some consistency and see if he can build on that moving forward to the latter part of the season. So, you know, all in all, like I thought the Colts played pretty well. In the, they played outstanding in the second half. And, you know, to kind of flip it on the Packers here, I mean, the first half they looked great. Devontae Adams and Rodgers were lighting it up. But in the second half, just nothing – they could get nothing going. The running game was just – basically non-existent with the Packers. I mean, Aaron Jones only had 40 yards rushing, and they only had 18 carries as a team. So I think moving forward, you don't get wrong, Aaron Rodgers can light up any defense on any given day, but they're going to they're gonna have to establish a more balanced and consistent running game if they're going to win games because they, they had a good chance to win this game against the Colts, but I think they just relied a little bit too heavy on Aaron Rodgers here. So... My thing is, right, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive just because, number one, it's my team, and, and number two, we don't really have that many games to cover in terms of, you know, games that really interest me. But this this game, to me, was a, a, a stapled game in our season. This was, if we don't go far enough in the playoffs, if we even make it, this was kind of our Super Bowl to a certain extent. This was a real a show of, hey, we can we can compete. A lot of people were saying our defense was rated so high because we didn't really play anybody competitive. We didn't play anybody above 500. The week prior, we go into Tennessee's house. We slapped them up by 16, and people still doubted us. People still said, you know, it's a division rival. The Titans never play well, blah, blah, blah. You know, every excuse under the bus, right? Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Fame quarterback, Super Bowl champion, another MVP favorite, comes into our home. And within the first two quarters, lights us up. And before you know it, it's 28-7. Uh, the touchdown to Phillip Rivers, uh, the touchdown from Rivers to Trey Burton, which was a beautiful route by Burton, by the way, and a better throw by Rivers, uh, really kind of showed us that we still have enough to compete and, and keep up. But it just, it furthered my concern. The Colts start off so slow, week to week. And that is mainly because of the play calling and failure to execute by both Rivers and Frank Wright. I don't know what it is that the two of them think that they're doing. I don't understand why it is that we need to draw up plays that just don't really make sense for the situational position that we're, we're in on the field. And then before you know it, our defense is out there three, four, five, six times at ha- before the half, and they're gassed. You know, like... We are one of the better defenses in the league. I know statistically it says that we're in the top three after this game because we did allow 31 points. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers did light us up for over 300 yards in the air. But I think this game really was 100% from the defense. Because the offense sure as shit did not show up in the first half. And the defense made sure that they got 
Aaron Rodgers off the field, which is the big, big, big win here with them scoring only three points in the second half. Mm-hmm. I think going forward that this team needs to either get it going a lot faster, like what we did with Tennessee where we ran that no huddle after Tennessee scored the first 14 points. I think we need to see a lot more of that going forward. I think, like you said, uh, credited to John Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, we need to run the ball effectively, and I think the uh, the missing of Braden Smith was a big portion of why Green Bay kind of collapsed the right side of our offensive line, which a lot of people fail to realize. Braden Smith is an anchor on that side. He he helps with Mark Glowski on protecting the right side of our quarterback and with us kind of rotating through backup guards and backup tackles in that position throughout the game, it showed a lack of inconsistency and Green Bay took advantage of it. They brought pressure, safety, nickel blitzes, and we just weren't ready for it, which is why Phillip was on the ground a little bit more than he normally is. But I, I really, really am concerned going forward that if we don't start hot, our defense isn't going to be able to save us every week. We created turnovers on special teams. We forced fumbles. Uh, Rocky Asin got a beautiful pick where he baited to throwing uh, Devontae Adams wide open. But every week, you, you cannot continue to rely on that. We have to continue to play from behind on a week-to-week basis. And that isn't going to fly against some of the best teams in the AFC, a.k.a. the Chiefs, the Steelers. You know, we, we struggled against the Ravens, even though they're struggling. But an, another offensive team that can light it up any week where we continuously have to play from behind. Our record does not reflect how we play during games. Yes, we're 7-3. and three. Realistically, the three games that we lost, we should not have lost. And that is because we played from behind the entire game. Jacksonville, 20-27. to 27. Cleveland, 31-20. to 20. You know what I mean? Like, the Ravens game... What was that? Twenty-eight to to to, to twelve or thirteen? Like it, 24 ten. Twenty-four ten. It's ridiculous. These games where we just make our defense stay on the field for the majority of the game, run game disappears after the first half, and Philip Rivers has to put the ball in situational positions where it's like, well, we have to force the ball downfield, or well, I have to throw you open. The defense knows we're not going to run the ball, so they drop an extra corner in coverage. You know what I'm saying? Like People that understand football know what I'm saying. You cannot abandon the run, and you have to be efficient and, and score on turnovers. So I'm happy we got this win. I'm ecstatic that we found a way to beat one of the best teams in the league as a whole, but I'm definitely not satisfied as a Colts fan knowing that this game showed us even further. If we don't get to a hot start getting further into the season – I don't know how we're going to win potentially a playoff game if we get there. Let me let me since <laughs> you're keeping it real, which I definitely appreciate, just because you know that team probably better than anybody that I know. But I will say this, just on a on a more positive note, essentially the Colts are going through what I would consider like their gauntlet part of the schedule because played against the Ravens, playing against the Titans, you're playing against the Packers, you're playing against the Titans again next week. You pretty much have it. You have another divisional game against the Texans the week after, and then you got the Raiders. So, I mean, you're talking about a month and a half stretch where you're going up against some quality teams across the board. Now, outside of that Ravens game, Colts have been playing fine. The, the last three weeks, I mean, the last two games that they've had, they've gone up against quality opponents. You know, and to beat the and to beat Tennessee on the road and to be as dominant as they were on the road, I gotta give I gotta give the Colts a nod there. And then to follow it up with going up against probably the wh- who I would consider basically either second or third place in the MVP race at, at this point with Aaron Rodgers, 
and you're able to shut him down in the second half after you now granted he, he did torch the Colts in the first half, but to shut him down to only three points in the in, in the second half, I mean the best thing that you could hope for is that is the team is performing against these teams extremely well, better than I thought they would. And they're playing up to their competition. And they're, I mean, to be honest with you, like when they had this schedule, I thought like when they played the Ravens, the Titans twice, and the Packers, I thought they would go two and two. And that's th- that still may remain because they play the Colts, I mean, they play the Titans next week, so we'll see how that goes. But they have a potential to get out of this stretch of their schedule three and one, which I don't think a lot of people thought. I didn't think that they were going to be three and one coming out of this stretch. And they have a really good chance to. They're at home against the Titans next week, and if they're able to be as physical as they were against the Titans the first time around, they should be able to win that game against the Titans. Now, the Titans will come in into that game hung, hungry, knowing that that they, that they really kind of got the doors blown off in them in that first matchup at home. So it, it's definitely going to be a competitive game, but i, I got to say, for, for the Colts to be at this point in the season with the record that they have, and with the talent that they have, with how young some of these guys are, got to give them credit, man. These guys are playing up, and they're exceeding expectations as far as I'm concerned. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm not trying to bash my team. Don't get me wrong, and it's, it's like you said, I'm, I'm definitely a realist. It's more along the lines of concern, like realistic football concern. I thought this year signing Philip Rivers for $25 million was probably the stupidest decision I could have ever imagined. One. Because I said, why were we going to sign a man at 38, 37, 38 years old? Two, our offense doesn't necessarily have weapons to compete with what Phillip Rivers is used to in San Diego his whole career. LaDainian Tomlinson, Darren Sproles, uh, Michael Turner in the backfield. Uh, he had Keenan Allen. He had Michael, uh, what's his name? Oh my yeah, God. Antonio I, Gates. No, no, no. Antonio Gates. I'm talking about Mike Williams. Like He's had big targets the tallest receiver is michael Pittman jr on our team mm-hmm. michael or should i say not even mo alley cox mo alley cox is like six four but other than that we don't necessarily have big targets ty hilton's five ten you know our, our best receiver paris mm-hmm. campbell another one five ten five nine short quick speedy receiver so i, I was looking at this from paper like i mean good we have a quarterback that's a little bit more competent than jacoby Brissett, but is he really going to be enough for us? Is He's not mobile. Is, is our offensive line going to be able to protect for him to get used to coverage without an offseason profe- uh, warm-up or, you know, like OTA prep? Then we go and draft Jonathan Taylor, and I was like, wait a minute. Our backfield's crowded as shit. Thankfully, we did draft him because Marlon got hurt. Nobody saw that coming, but, I mean, Chris Ballard tends to predict the future sometimes. And I've told you, since Chris Ballard has gotten there, our defense needed a few pieces. Julian Blackman is definitely a top candidate for defensive rookie of the year. The man is an all-out hawk. He's everywhere at all times. You got, just, Darius, you got Darius Leonard, too, in, in the Darius middle of that Leonard's field. Darius already proven. Darius Leonard was But still, he's a monster. He's an absolute monster. Like, dude, like, I mean, I, granted, I know he's not a rookie, but still, I mean, he's he's young, he's raw, and, he, dude, he is constantly getting after it. He's everywhere all over the field. I mean, our, our defense is young and swarming, and that is a big credit to Matt Eberflus, who I am petrified that we will lose this next offseason because I know for a fact there are plenty of teams that need a new head coach, and he is going to be a top target in free agency for the, for the coaching carousel that's about to transpire this next offseason. So you, I, you I, know what, I don't know. 
the only thing I'll say, like when it comes to like the targets that Philip Rivers has, granted they, they may not be the same caliber of like talent and athleticism that he had when he was with San Diego for the majority of his career. But the way that I look of like the way that I look at how the Colts have utilized their the pieces that they have, it's worked out pretty well so far. Granted, they've had some games where they they didn't play well, and there's everybody's going to have those games. Hundred percent. But to me, I mean, just because you don't have all pro receivers or you have a you know a Hall of Fame tight end doesn't mean that you can't be successful. Granted, these guys are young; these guys have something to prove, but. They've been able to utilize their talent as well as as anybody could really expect, and even even with those guys not essentially being top tier receivers or top top tier tight ends or running backs, they're playing well. They they complement each other well, and and Philip Rivers, as long as he's not turning the ball over, if he keeps playing like he he's been like in that Packers, if he plays like he did in that Packers game from here on out, they're going to be fine. The the thing with Rivers is he just can't turn the ball over. If he's able to limit his turnovers and keep building consistency with these young guys, they'll be fine. Now, granted, we'll see what happens with him next year. If he stays or goes, he's probably likely going to go. But, I mean, keep developing these young guys and give them a chance. They're able to – they were able to prove it against probably the second-best team in the – the second-best team in the NFC, arguably the best team in the NFC. So, let these guys keep – Keep developing. You never know what you can get out of these guys. Yeah, you never know the kind of run that we could end up making later in the season. You you just you never know the the chemistry, the confidence. You know, Paris Campbell might come back. Who, who's to say we don't make it to the AFC Championship against the Chiefs or the Steelers? You know, it depends on the road that we have to go through in the playoffs, the seeding, however it's going to work. I just I'm very worried at one number here, and that is a very crucial number, and that's points after takeaways. Green Bay took the ball over twice with the Mo Alley-Cox fumble and the Phillip Rivers deflected interception within the first two quarters. Green Bay goes down the field and scores 14 points. Mm-hmm. We take that interception over from uh, from Devontae Adams and then we force a fumble on specials. We did not get a single point. Both drives ended in three and outs. So I'm just sitting here wondering... Are we going to be able to capitalize on opportunities like that going forward? The defense, again, it, it, we cannot continue to live and die by our defense. If you're going to get us a turnover, that offense needs to immediately snap and wake up and say, if we don't score here, this lead's in jeopardy or this game's in jeopardy. So the, the, only, thing about, the only thing about the, uh, the points off of turnovers was they did get three, and the three were the ones that counted. Well, I mean, the fumble late in the game, obviously, yes, but we did force, what was it, four turnovers against the Green Bay Packers as a whole? Hold on, it one. Was, I, think, I think it was, I think it was three. I'm pretty sure it was three. Rock had the pick. We forced a fumble they, on, we forced a they, fumble on a kick return. Oh, they, we, oh, oh they, did, they did have four turnovers because the Packers lost three fumbles. So they were able to force for them though. Um. Oh, uh, the the snap. Like oh the, right, the snap. that that was the fumble the, I'm talking about. The snap, the snap from yeah. the center, right? So we didn't score off of that, and then we didn't score off the Rocky Ossian interception because obviously we had the fumble on the kickoff return to start the fourth quarter, and then we had the fumble obviously to seal the game. Hey man, shout out to Rodrigo Blankenship, the un 
drafted free agent kicker out of Georgia. Respect the specs. Respect the specs, bro. Respect them damn specs. I'm I was nervous when he missed the fifty yarder, but I said, yo, he's a rookie. He's been doing amazing. It's not like when Vedetary missed. I said, you know what? The fucking game is over. This this kid this kid is poised, he's calm, and he's confident. Special teams, I do not worry whatsoever because our punter in Rodrigo Sanchez and, or Roberto. What, what? Roberto is it? I always forget. Rodrigo. Oh, Rigoberto. Such a unique. Yeah, you were close. Really you were close. <laughs> Such a, I, I got to combine the two, right? Yeah. Sanchez and, and Blankenship, man, those those two guys together in place kicking and then out there, you know, scoring those points out there for special teams. We're, we're doing what we need to do on that side of the ball, so I am very happy, but. Uh, I'm going to end it on a I'm very nervous going forward to see how the season progresses obviously like you stated we definitely have to still play Houston twice we have Tennessee coming coming into the house this Sunday we have a matchup against Las Vegas and then we have a matchup against Pittsburgh so we uh the gauntlet may be over in terms of consecutive but the 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 opponents are still rolling through so I am curious to see how this team takes it and goes forward. The Blankenship looks like he just got, got out of calculus class with those glasses. It's totally fine. Blankenship and DK Metcalf <laughs> play in the same NFL league. This is a beautiful place. I, I saw. I saw that. I saw that tweet too. I love it. And somebody then I saw that. And said Rodrigo Blankenship would fuck him up, and I laughed hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> the next game I'm transitioning into is going to be the Rams Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, for the most part, we were recording for the beginning of this game, but I kind of just said, you know, I don't. I, I don't really care for it. Uh, my fantasy game was kind of over at that point at half. But the L.A. Rams end up pulling out the win 27-24 uh, to 24 in Tampa against your boy, man. Uh, just as a, former, as, as a former Tom Brady fan on the weekly in terms of him being on the Patriots, a Tom Brady former. lover, a firm believer in him being the GOAT. What, Still is. What is going on, bro? The, his primetime games are just mm-hmm. awful. I mean, you don't got to tell me. I went to that Saints game a couple of weeks ago, and I still have PTSD from that game. Like, so let, let me talk about the um, let me talk about the Rams game last night. I don't even want to mention anything about that Saints game a couple of weeks ago. Um, really, I thought the first half was kind of a wash, just all in all, just because I thought both teams were they were basically just trading punches back and forth in the first half. So, and and that was really the half that we missed anyway because we were recording that episode yesterday, but. The second half, I, I mean, I'll tell you this: watching Brady in the second half, he was he was awful. There, I'm not going to pull any punches. He was awful in the second half. The two interceptions that he had, I, I think he was he was either misreading the coverages or he was throwing he was throwing the guys that he thought were going to run one route and they're running another. So obviously, I think chemistry was an issue there, or he's just misdiagnosing the coverages that the defense has given him. And with that, I mean, with that said, the, the defense was single-handedly keeping the bucks in that game because the Rams, they really didn't do much in the second half. They, they had that one drive. I think it was, I think it was in the third quarter where the bucks were just playing in straight zone defense and Jared Goff just lit them up whenever they were in that coverage. But outside of that, I thought the bucks defense gave Brady and the offense multiple chances to get ahead in that game. But Brady and the offense just couldn't get anything together. The, just bad throws. It, it just the, the timing was off. The Rams were getting pressure on him, which probably didn't help either. But just 
the offense really struggled, and Brady was a huge part of that. And I think the one thing that we have to kind of keep in mind, too, was the fact that they didn't run the ball much last night. And whether that's play calling, whether that's just the offensive game plan going into the game, I mean, they ran the ball extremely well against the Carolina Panthers last week with Ronald Jones basically almost getting 200 yards rushing. And then in this game, he's basically a no-show. And you have to get those running backs involved. And I think it, I, I, I thought what they would I thought they were what they were doing with the running backs. They were trying to get those guys out in the flats to kind of you know catch it and then get yards after after the catch. Just too many drops in the running backs in the passing game too. I think Leonard Fournette had three drops yesterday. I mean, the, the fans were in in rage. They were letting him know about it too. But just overall, just the offense just was just stagnant yesterday. And, and I, I will say this: the defense did play. I, I think they played up to snuff yesterday, just because in that second half, that defense kept them in it as much as they could. Brady, and the offense, they got to get it together. And and Brady did not. Brady looked pissed the entire night. It. Whether it was the, it was the defense getting after him, whether it was guys just not making plays, him not making plays, all in all, Brady. It, it just looked like Brady was just pissed off the entire night, and the result shows. He threw he threw that second interception, which essentially sealed the game, and it was a terrible interception. It was a terrible one. Ironically enough, the interception was stat fact. By the way, by the way, fun fact: Jordan Fuller was the 199th pick in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady was the 199th pick in the 2000 draft. Yeah. He intercepted the GOAT twice. Nice. Just just thought I'd throw that out there. Some interesting, something crazy, you know, things tend to happen like that. Um, I just want to dive into really quick. Both defenses are stellar. The Rams' defense really came to play in terms of shutting that de- Bro, the Rams defense and the I think the oh the Rams are fine. Rams are fine. The the Tampa Bay Bucks defense is what top five in rushing yards allowed. They did not let L A get anywhere on the ground. Like they just shut on the ground. Down. Yeah, on the ground. And in yeah. terms of points allowed, other than that Saints game, they have been playing very stingy defense. So for them to keep this high powered high motion uh you know Sean McVay offense only to 27 points like you said this the Bucks defense gave Tom Brady a lot of opportunities to go out there and score right mm-hmm. and yeah. the Rams defense definitely gave Jared Goff a lot more opportunities as well Jared Goff turned the ball over twice as well but i mean these these rushing yards i mean in total Malcolm Brown had 20, Cam Akers had 15, Daryl Henderson had 5, Tyler Higby had a, a sweep run for 1, Jared Goff got nothing, Robert Woods had 2 rushes for negative 4. Now on the opposite side, in the air, we have two of the most slept on receivers in the league, and I mean two of the most absolute slept on, one of them being the most disrespected in my opinion. Cooper Cup is some form of animal. Balled out yesterday. Balled 145 out. yards and 11 catches. Robert Woods, 130, one more reception in 12 catches and a touchdown. These two boys, these two grown men, right? They're undersized. They're not that big. They're not that strong. But for whatever reason, McVay always finds a way to get those two involved. And when those two go off like this, it's a very difficult team to stop. And Tampa Bay secondary was just getting absolutely obliterated and eaten up. I mean, between two people, we have 23 receptions 
and 275 yards. Just between two people. If that doesn't hint to you, fucking cover these guys. I don't know what does. The, the, the issue with the Bucks, and, and this was really the issue that, that I saw when, when the Bucks were playing the Saints a few weeks ago. When they play that zone coverage, they get shredded. It was like we were talking about last night. I mean, they were down 28-31-0 in the first half against the Saints a couple weeks ago. And I, to be honest with you, at this point, just play man coverage, bump and run, and hope for the best. Because because Tampa's defense does not generate a, a decent enough pass rush when they're playing zone coverage. I mean, that one drive in the third quarter where L.A. just lighted that defense up, they were in zone coverage. Against the Saints, where they gave up 30, 30 points in the first half, they are playing zone coverage. Like, and, and the thing with the Bucks is they cannot get off the field on third down on defense. And listen, they were able to do it somewhat in the se- in the second half, but it really at the opportune time, at the opportune times, they just couldn't get it done, especially on third down getting off the field. So the the defense has flashes for sure, and I think really like one of those flashes was holding the Rams to how many points did they score in the second half? They they only scored 10 points in the second half. So the defense definitely kept kept them in it. But we're going to see what that defense is made of next week when they go against the Chiefs. Because that, that to me, that's going to be a real test for that Bucks defense. And if they play in that zone coverage like they've been playing in the last few weeks, that Patrick Mahomes is going to put up 40 points against that defense if that they play boy, in zone Patty coverage. Mahomes might have 500 yards at half. He, he's going he's, he's gonna, to – I tell you right now, with the Bucks, they got to play man coverage. Because if they play in the zone coverage, they are going to get screwed. Oh, and watch if Sammy Watkins comes back too, boy, bro, you got, you, bro, you got, you got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, who's balling out. Best this headed in football, especially with Kittle being out, unfortunately. McCall Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, and then you had Sammy Watkins on top of that, and you got Le'Veon Bell. You got Edwards Hilaire in the backfield, dude. I'm the Bucks you, might the Bucks might give up 40, 45 points if they're not I'm, careful. I'm, I, I'm I'm telling you, man. Um, a few games ago, I was I was out there. I was probably one of the first people to say, you know, I, I'm apologizing. I thought Tom was going to be a little bit washed. I thought he's going to be a little slow and you know sluggish on this side of the ball. And he led the Bucks to what six and two or seven and two at one point, and then you guys go and drop the last two. So it's like, I. I'm looking back and I'm kind of saying, was I right? Is 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 he hitting the struggle? And and I have a stat here from uh, Ian Rappaport. So another stat fact: uh, between weeks one and seven, Tom Brady's deep ball percentage was 101 passer rating, two touchdowns, and 12 yards per attempt. Right? Mm-hmm. He was 14 of 39. In weeks eight through 11, he is 0 for 19 with three interceptions. What do you mm-hmm. think that's a tone to? Like, what what do you think's going on in Tom's head? Well, I think there's there's still the mindset that they could stretch the field, but I mean, at this point, if you're going to stretch the field, there's only two people I'd really throw to. You throw to either Mike Evans or Scotty Miller because Scotty Miller is just a speedster. You Scotty Miller can get busy with his feet because that I remember that one that one touchdown that he threw against the Raiders a couple weeks ago. I think it was uh, that corner fade where Brady just dropped it in the bucket. That was Scotty Miller who got that. Scotty didn't even touch and, the ball last night. And that's another issue. The issue with the Bucks, and I think this is mostly with Brady, is that they're force-feeding Antonio Brown. 
because it got to a point last night where Mike Evans and Chris Godwin weren't even really targeted that much in the second half outside of maybe a few plays. I know Godwin got that touchdown, but by and large, Brady is force-feeding that ball to Antonio Brown, and I think I think there may be some chemistry issues that are going on with that wide receiving core because I think I, I don't think Antonio Brown is causing like any like strife in the locker room. I think it's mostly with the play out on the field. And I think it's getting to the point where it's apparent that Brady's trying to get the ball to Antonio Brown a lot more often than these than like Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, and Scotty Miller. And the thing is, like, I wish Brady would, would hit the tight ends a little bit often. Would hit hit them a little bit more often. Gronk only had one or two catches last night. Cameron Bray had a catch or two, but outside of that I think Brady's got to stop force feeding that ball to Antonio Brown all the time. So, I think like I think really moving forward, like kind of like we were talking about with Rivers, how he's able to just really kind of spread the wealth with passing the football. I think Brady's really got to start doing that again and stop really focusing and keying in to Antonio Brown to get him up to speed. He's got arguably one of the best wide receiving cords, uh, wide receiving cores in the league. Use them, use them. Like Mike Evans is more con- is a better receiver than just throwing fade routes or corner routes to get a touchdown. Like hit him. Like he can definitely make plays. His size alone is going to make him get some solid plays with a jump ball in the field as well. Chris Godwin is a solid, solid number two or number three at this point. And use the use the tight ends. You got Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Bray. Those two Gronk's one of the greatest tight ends of all time, and Cameron Bray is no slouch. You got those two guys in your tight end decor, those are some good targets. And I think for Brady, if he's able to hit those guys and kind of spread the ball around across the board and the wide receiving and, and tight end core, they'll be fine. Just stop throwing the ball to Antonio Brown as much as he has been. I think that's kind of one of the things that they got, they're going to have to figure out. And and run the ball. Run the ball as well. You got Ronald Jones. You got Leonard Fournette. Shady's been pretty much out of the mix the last couple of weeks. But you got two solid running backs. I wish – is it Byron Leftwich who's calling the plays yeah. for Tampa? Run the ball. I mean, it was a couple of games ago where they only had five rushing attempts the entire game, which is like the lowest in NFL history. Run the ball. You got to get those guys carries. I know that they were going up against a tough run defense with Aaron Donald, pretty much just stopping, really stopping that a gap. No one's going to get into that a gap when he's in on the defense. It's just not going to happen. But you got to give these guys a chance. Spread the ball around to the wide receivers and the tight ends a little bit more. Stop feeding, stop force feeding Antonio Brown the ball and give the running backs a chance. I think if they're able to do those things on the offensive side of the ball, they'll be all right. But they got they, they're they going to have their hands full with the Chiefs next week. That's for, that's for sure. So I got here your boy's stats for the, for the year so far, right? 2,955 mm-hmm. yards. He's at a 64.7 completion percentage, that's 25 cool. TDs, 9 interceptions. And a passer rating so far of, I believe, 95. Not bad at all. He's so not bad. having a bad year. It, it, it's it's solid. However, he's already got one interception more than he had all of last season. Mm-hmm. And similar to what I said when they signed AB, uh, aside from the fact that he is somewhat of a nutcase in terms of you know personality, but it seems that Bruce Arians kind of has a, his reins on him a little bit. Um there's too many mouths to feed. That's to me. That's the issue. You 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 want to get a a a former All Pro, a former First Team, a former Pro Bowler as good as of, of potential as AB brings to the table. 
back in shape. You want to get him back in the full groove and back in the full rhythm. I mean, he basically missed a whole year and a half with the entire scandal that happened last season and him missing eight gears this eight games this year. Uh, obviously, he has a little bit more uh, of a chemistry with AB due to them having some time in, in camp and some, some time in the, the first couple of weeks of last season. But I, I agree with you completely, man. They are definitely, definitely forcing the ball to him too much, and they're not paying attention to the two guys in Tampa that helped Jameis Winston join the 30-30 club. And, you know, there were 30 touchdowns for a reason. But Mike Evans is, what is it, tied with Randy Moss for most consecutive 1,000-yard seasons to start a career in six or seven years? And I don't think he's going to be able to hit it this year because of the lack of targets that Mike Evans is receiving. And, yep. I mean, it's like you said, you have two stud tight ends, obviously one of them being one of the greatest. Cameron Braid has been one of the most consistently efficient tight ends at his position. He's no stud in terms of production, but he catches the ball when needed. He's reliable on third down. He's a target in the end zone. And you're sitting here and you're telling me that Scotty Mills got no targets. You're telling me that Antonio Brown's going to get 8 for 57, but Mike Evans only has 5 for 49 and Chris has 7 for 53. The long ball just clearly is not working for them, and I think that that's showing because you're minimalizing the amount of, pers- what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're 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 losing opportunity down the field to stretch the field. You're not running the football, and you're minimalizing the use of some of your better receivers down the field. Mike Evans for- can run the fade, other than the goal line. He can mm-hmm. run a straight fly. Chris Godwin, that man is lightning in a bottle. Can, yeah. can can you give him the ball and make him, you know, let him run after the catch? Yeah. But none of that's going to happen without running the football, creating a play action. If they're going to continue to to have Tom Brady throw the ball, what was it, almost 50 times? What do you expect? At 43 years old, you know he's not going to run a read option. <laughs> you know he's not nope. going to pull the ball back and take it for a scramble himself for 10, 15 yards. So you're just going to drop everybody back in coverage. I don't know what they're going to do, man. Against some of these better teams in the NFC, I, I had the Bucks going to the NFC Championship, but if if they can't find a way to contain these higher uh, higher octane offenses and find ways to streamline and, and, and even out that offense of theirs, bro, I don't even think they get out the first round. I think next week is a guaranteed loss against the Chiefs, and that drops them to 7-5, and five, well out of the division. And these NFC teams out here, like the Rams, like the Cardinals, are fighting for a wild card spot, extended spot or not. I don't know if Tampa's going to find a way to squeak in there. The only th- the only bright spot with Tampa next week is that they're going up against a pretty sus a, a pretty suspect defense because Derek Carr gave Derek Carr gave some gave the gave the Chiefs defense some problems last week, and he did in the in the first matchup against the Chiefs earlier in the season. So yeah, but they had Josh Jacobs running the football. That's a big difference. That's yeah, a fear it, in that backfield. It, it, and that's the thing. I, I, the Bucs are definitely going to have to have a balanced attack against the Chiefs. They're going to have to run the football. If they don't they run the ball, the ball out of Pat's hands. If they don't run the football, you're not going to beat them. The only way that I think the Bucs win this game is they slow the pace of the game down and just really try to get those long, sustained drives and just kind of bleed the clock. Now, Mahomes is going to put up points. That's Mahomes is probably going to put up two, two, three touchdowns easy against that defense. But who, who knows? I, I think at this point, the Bucks got to know that they that, that that zone coverage is going to get absolutely shredded against Patrick Mahomes because the Raiders did it in that last in that in that last drive to try to stop Patrick Mahomes. 
and they got burned on him for a touchdown. Cost him the game. If the Bucks run that freaking zone coverage again against Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes is going to put up probably 400 yards and probably five touchdowns. Because, like I said, the Bucks don't have a consistent pass rush. Uh, they don't have a consistent enough pass rush to get after him. I mean, if you can't get after Jared Goff, it's not going to happen. And good luck trying to get Patrick Mahomes on the ground. He's a little bit, he's more mobile than Jared Goff is. So the Bucks are definitely in some trouble. If they, if they, if they get smacked by the Chiefs, they're in some real, real trouble. I mean, so the remainder of their schedule outside of the Chiefs would seem relatively easy if they were to win the rest of it out. Minnesota's no walk in the park. They have been competitive the last few weeks. So that's what they have right after at home. Then they go to Atlanta, who we know struggles, but it is a divisional game, so who knows. Then they go into Detroit, and then they are home to end the season against the Falcons. So they play the Falcons two times in the last three weeks. I would say all of those games are winnable. I'd say maybe they lose to the Vikings just because of Dalvin Cook. But, I mean, I, I don't know. So if they find if they lose and they go seven and five, and they win the rest of that right, and then they go eleven and five, is that enough to catapult them into an actual postseason scare in the wild card? I think what this team needs is they need that bye week. They have a bye week in week thirteen, which is which, weird. Which yeah, th- this team is exhausted. That's why that's why um, Bruce Arians didn't really hold a practice until Thursday and Friday this past week because the guys need the rest. So I think, I think what you're seeing at this point in the season with the Bucks is I think weariness is starting to play in the, is starting to play a factor as well, because you know you go you go basically three months without a break. That's that, that's a lot of wear and tear on the bodies. It doesn't matter if you whether it's a quarterback or wide receivers or the defensive guys. It doesn't matter. Thirteen straight weeks of football. That's some wear and tear on 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 those bodies. So. Even if they, I will say this: if they lose to the Chiefs, they're definitely gonna, they're definitely gonna maximize that bye week as much as they can because they are gonna need every single day of it. And then th- those last four games, those last four games, they gotta mean everything to those. They gotta mean everything to the bus because they at least gotta put themselves in decent position for playoff, for the for playoff positioning. And if they if they hit a little bit of a run. Depending on what the outcome is against the Chiefs, they can end up either twelve and four or eleven and five. Because I don't think they're if they lose to any of these teams in the last four weeks of the season, the Bucks are going to be in trouble. The Bucks should beat these teams handily those last four games of the year. The Chiefs, Chiefs are a different story, but the, the Vikings, Falcons, Lions, and Falcons again, they should beat those teams. If they lose to those teams, if they don't, if they play down to the, the if they play down to their competition. In any of those games and lose them, I've got no, I've got really no hope for the Bucks in the playoffs this year. They should beat those four teams fairly easily. I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, that's pretty much all I got in terms of in that content. I mean, we've pretty much wrapped that up uh, for the for the Bucks game. Uh, I didn't expect this to go as far in depth into detail, but I mean, we both expected a little bit more from your boy and the uh, you know supporting cast. So. We'll see what happens in the next coming weeks, but I just want to touch on something real quick before we go. Uh, unfortunately, the Cincinnati Bengals did lose number one overall pick Joe Burrow to a torn ACL, MCL, and further ligament damage to be confirmed in the week. Um, 
reports are saying that he is trending in the right direction in terms of morale. And obviously with his tweet saying he'll be back better and stronger than ever next year. Uh, we'll see what's likely to happen. But as for the rest of the season, the Bengals will more than likely be a top three pick once again. Hopefully being able to bring some supporting casts, uh, additional assistance in terms of offensive line depth to make sure that Joe doesn't get hurt again. But before Joe got hurt, it was kind of a two-way tie, in my opinion, for the Offensive Rookie of the Year between him and Justin Herbert. Obviously, now with Joe going down, I, I think that Herbert takes that hands down. I don't think there's really anybody that can compete with him from a quarterback perspective. However, I wanted to make a point that I think that Herbert would have won it regardless if Joe doesn't go down or not. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was kind of trending in that direction as well. I, I'll tell you this, like, for quarterbacks, like if, if we're talking about Joe Burrow and and um, Justin Herbert, I'm taking Herbert all day. The records don't show it, but Herbert has been the better quarterback all year. And they've lost some really close games. I mean, I mean honestly, they could be five and five or like five, five and six at this point. I think they've only won two or three games this season for the Chargers, uh-huh. but. Like they're they're that team reminds me a lot of the Giants this year just because the Giants have lost some really close games at the end as well, and the Chargers are basically the same thing. They're just the they're basically just the AFC, the AFC equivalent in that regard. But I'll tell you what, for Rookie of the Year, bro, we got to talk about Justin Jefferson for a little bit. This dude, oh, just, Justin in, Jefferson, a whole beast. We all knew what in, he just, was at LSU, bro. I'll tell you what. For a rookie wide receiver to be balling out this much, when you got another really great receiver on the other side of the field with Adam Thielen, I mean, what it like? We got to pull up Justin Jefferson's stats here for a second because this dude, this dude can, is on. Can, another, can, I, can I bring to light the fact that he was third on the depth chart in camp, and I was absolutely appalled that he was not a guaranteed opposite side of the field starter to Adam Thielen, and they had him playing the slot for the majority of the first couple of weeks. Like, can, can, can we talk about how disrespectful that is? Like, okay, he only has 45 receptions, but he had 850 yards receiving already. And it, and what? They have what? Like five, five or six games left? left to, five games? The dude's going to hit 1,000 yards easy. In his rookie season, when you got Adam Thielen on the other side of the ball, who's doing his thing, who just did his thing against the Cowboys last week. Uh, dude, I know Justin Herbert is probably going to win the rookie of the year just because that we always kind of evaluate quarterbacks as like the main factor of the team. But Justin Jefferson, this dude is cooking. I, don't, I, 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 I figured he would be a solid pickup for them in the draft, but I didn't expect this. I, I didn't did. expect him to ball at this much. I did. Not, I, not I, to the I point. Knew it, I, I knew he would. Not, not to the point where he's in the contention in the running and it is ser- in serious consideration for rookie of the year. This dude is in real contention to get it. Well, that well, obviously, I, I didn't think he was going to eight hundred and fifty off of forty something receptions. I knew the kid would be a baller. I knew the kid would be a stud. I'm telling you, I watched. I firmly watched a lot of those LSU prospects. I saw a lot of their tape in terms of, you know, Edwards Alaire. I saw a lot of Joe Burrow. I saw a lot of Chase. I saw a lot of Thaddeus Moss. That offense just, that whole offense basically got drafted, right? That whole offense was basically first-round talent, if you really look at it. They could have went first-round, all of them, because of how deep they were, because of how strong they were at their positions. And 
you look at a talent like Justin Jefferson, between the speed, between the hands, between the height and the length and the catch radius, all the drills that he ran at his pro day, you j- they were fascinating. The kid just overall is an absolute freak of nature, and Kirk Cousins may not be the best quarterback in the NFL, but he is a slinger, and he does like to throw the ball. So I, I saw that it, it ended up being a perfect fit because I did say earlier in the year I wanted him to go to Philly. But the way that Philly's working this year, I don't think any receiver would have fixed the fact that Carson Wentz can't get his head out of his ass. So I'm actually happy that he's on a team that is trending upwards versus trending further, further down the pit of the NFC East. So I, I, J- Justin Jefferson, man, he's... He's definitely going to get some votes if he continues to play at the level that he is just because of how unheard of it is to have a rookie season like he's having and then average the yards per catch that he does. What is he averaging? Dude, like 18 yards a catch? It, it's, it's almost 19. And, dude, in oh some of the games, dude, in some of these games, dude, gets Tennessee. He goes 7 for 175, gets a, gets a touchdown as well. He's averaging 25 yards a catch. Then the next week, plays against Houston. Follows it up with four receptions, gets a gets a uh, gets a 103 yards. Two weeks later, against Atlanta, he goes nine for 166, two touchdowns. And then a couple games later, this is against Chicago last, um, not last week, but the week before, goes eight for 135. Bro, he's got four 100 yard receiving games, and in in all these 100 yard receiving games, he's averaging over 15 yards a catch. It, bro, that and even against the even against the Cowboys. He only had three catches. He had 86 yards. He's averaging, he was only averaging almost 30 yards a catch and got a touchdown on top of it, too. Bro, like... He's a walking mismatch. Th- this dude... This speed, hands, dude, route running ability, everything. And, and, everything you dude, can think of. Dude, he's he, dude, he's cooking it. He's He's got that gritty going. Like, this dude is a baller. It's it's going to be exciting to watch him and Thielen for the next couple of years, depending on who continues to throw the ball. We all know if it is going to be Kirk Cousins. Minnesota may not win games. I am sorry, Jared and Darian, if you are listening. Uh, but guys, I, you you gotta you gotta stud in the first round. Philadelphia passed them up, and you guys ended up getting a blessing out of it. So I mean, Justin Jefferson for the next decade or so, if healthy and if he has a competent quarterback to throw him the ball, is going to be a phenom for the next few years. I mean, for the next decade i would hope you know i don't want to get ga- i don't want to gas him up too much but dude we, you got to put some respect on on his name this dude you, you know for a rookie receiver i i mean that's why i drafted thielen because i thought thielen was going to be the main guy and he, he still is to a certain extent but justin jefferson has really really established himself as it, it really in like in this situation it's kind of like a 1a 1b type thing yeah they're where a great one-two punch you, you, you could really kind of flip back and forth. It's just, like I said, I don't want to gas him up too much, but Justin Jefferson has definitely earned to be at the top of the NFL Rookie of the Year conversation. I don't know where he's gonna. I don't know where he's gonna end up because I'm I'm with you. I think Justin Herbert's gonna win it. Joe Burrow's probably gonna finish second, even though that he's gonna miss the rest of the season. But Justin Jefferson should definitely get some votes. If he doesn't get votes, that's just disrespectful. Facts. But speaking of Justin Herbert, we got here some some numbers on his portion. We got uh, 2,699 yards throwing, 22 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, with a QBR of 104.7. And mind you, he missed the first two games. 
Insane. He's nice with it, man. He's Insane. nice with it, man. He's nice. Bro, that throw on the move to his left, that touchdown to the back of the end zone, absolutely phenomenal. That man threw a complete and utter fastball on his opposite side. Who can do that? What 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 veterans can do that now? Name me somebody that can do that right now other than Russell Wilson and Pat Mahomes. Maybe Rodgers. Maybe. Maybe. Outside of that, nobody. Nobody. It's insane. The composure that he has, the capabilities that he has in, in, in throwing and, and throwing people open, his his vision, everything is – he's another one, man. Just somebody that doesn't look like a rookie. And I think that the Chargers really got a phenomenal replacement for Phillip Rivers because the receiving core down there is tied up financially for the next couple of years. Their running game, that, that, that committee, they're, they're going to be in a good position to win a lot. They just need to improve that defense and that offensive line. And, and oh, my God, watch out. L.A. is about to be a, a team dominated by two teams sharing the same stadium. I'm just looking at Los Angeles. I'm just looking at the Chargers right now. Dude, they're competitive in every single game. Yeah, they've lost every, every game, I think, by single digits. I'm being serious. Yeah, every single game. The, the largest loss that they've had was eight points. You cannot blame Anthony Lynn. I don't think Anthony Lynn nope. is the reason. It's just failure to execute, and then not to mention their the defense is just letting up points defense, and being gassed. Defense is, give, defense is giving up points. I mean, they were competitive against the Rams. Not the Rams. Uh, the um, Against New Orleans. They damn near beat KC in the second week of the year. That Carolina loss, that, that one, that's probably a tough one. They probably should have won that game. But Carolina had Teddy, and Teddy was was looking pretty good at the beginning of the year. But outside of that, I mean, I mean, I was watching that that uh, that Las Vegas Raiders game when I was at the Bucks game a couple weeks ago. And the guy, I mean, Justin Herbert literally threw like a perfect pass to win them the game. The guy just couldn't uh, hold onto the ball when, when coming down to the ground to maintain possession. I mean, there have been a lot of games. I mean, that one game against Denver, they lost on a, on a walk-off uh, passing touchdown from Drew Luck. Uh, from Drew Lock. So, granted, like we said earlier, their record may not show it, but the Chargers got a good one with Justin Herbert. So, like to me, at this point, yeah, he's going to win the Rookie of the Year. But at this point, you just kind of hope that they can take that next step, and hopefully, the defense improves because this they got a really good guy at that quarterback spot with Herbert. I honestly thought he would be kind of the bust at that point, not bust, but I, I kind of thought him playing at Oregon and, you know, the PAC 12 being as soft as they, as it was, I didn't expect this from him whatsoever. So I will apologize for my, my blasphemy earlier in the year when I said that the kid was probably going to, you know, he had a few good runs going and then I didn't think he would kind of keep it going, but I'm eating my words and, to those LA Charger fans that I did insult, I uh, I deeply apologize, and uh, I have picked up since I have since picked up Justin Herbert in fantasy. So dude, he, dude, I'm riding that wave. He's completing sixty eight percent of his passes. Ball, and that's saying something considering Ball. Tom's just under sixty five at forty three with six Super Bowls with and Pro Ball, Bowl receivers. That is saying something. I mean, you got Keenan Allen on that on that wide receiving court, and he just went off the other day. Yeah, I. The kid's a stud, and I think that this was a very good draft class in terms of offensive talent. I, I am very, very, very happy to see that they are all doing what they're doing without a traditional OTA, without a traditional offseason. And I haven't really seen much of a, of a of a struggle for most of them between him and Joe, but 
I mean, struggle games are really kind of uh, expected with rookie quarterbacks thrown into starting situations as early as they were. But nevertheless, the kid just continues to impress. The kid continues to, to shock the world. And I think that the Chargers are going forward. That AFC West between the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs. I mean, obviously the Chiefs are going to continue to be the favorite. But if Vegas continues to give them struggles going forward in the, in the upcoming years and the Chargers continue to rebuild, that's going to be a similar NFC West. Because think about it, as the NFC West kind of comes down due to age in terms of like Russell Wilson and uh, and Jared Goff getting a little older, that means that this, this league is going to be another up-and-coming one. What's Justin Herbert, 21, 22? You have Pat Mahomes just turned 25. You have Derek uh, De- Derek Carr? Yes, Derek, Derek Carr. Carr he, he just turned like, what, 29? Like, that, that, that's a, this is a young, talented, up-and-coming division and I mean if the Broncos could find a way to turn it around which I don't think Elway will uh, I I really do like Drew Locke I love his attitude I love that he he raps to young Jeezy after touchdowns but I mean I don't know man that the, the, the league is in good hands offensively as this as the the torch is somewhat passed after Brady and Breeze yeah and Rivers to a certain extent like I said I said what I said Rivers puts up the stats, though. I give, I give him that. Puts playoffs, up the stats he hasn't. And L's. Pl- playoffs don't. Do, playoffs isn't done anything, but I'll give him credit on the stats. He's got like the stats. I said, he puts it off in L's. You can get to the playoffs all you want. If you ain't winning no damn championships, it's completely irrelevant. The one AFC least, championship he went to, he lost. At least he's doing better than freaking Stafford. I think Stafford's only been in the playoff like what once or twice. I think once. And the, dude, I, I don't I don't know why they fired Jim Caldwell, man. I, I think Caldwell deserves a job. I don't want to get into another tangent, but uh, this man, Matt Patricia, your boy, he's, I think he's ruining that team. The way that they're doing and spending all that money on defense for them to not perform at all, and then Matt to be doing everything he's doing injured, and his wife getting cancer, and then their rotation between inconsistent wide receivers, it, it, it just... It it's seems like they're going to continue to struggle, and he's going to be one of those quarterbacks that had a great career statistically but never really amounted to anything. Yep. And the thing is, uh, the idea of of him possibly being in the Hall of Fame is going to get thrown around too. You yeah, know, that he's gonna, only been. It's, it's, it's going to be he, teetered because he didn't do he's, anything. He's got Hall of Fame stats. I'll give him that, but nothing in the playoffs. Nothing. Nothing in the playoffs. Nothing in the win category. I think he is a career under five hundred quarterback. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. You know, it's wild, like absolutely mind-boggling. Check this out. This man, Calvin Johnson, is about to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he only played, like, what, eight, nine years? And he played with Matt Stafford for the majority of his career, and Matt Stafford could not win games with Megatron. Like, that is wild. Put Megatron with Peyton Manning. Put Megatron with Tom Brady, and watch them light up everybody. I mean, hell, I mean, Manning had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, two Hall of Fame receivers, bad to back, and, and literally at the same time. And then Brady had Randy Moss for Four maybe five two. Years. No, it was really they only played together for like two. They really only played for like two, maybe a quarter, because he really? tore his ACL. He tore his ACL in two thousand eight. Oh, that's right. And they played in two thousand nine, and then Moss got traded in like the third or fourth week in two thousand ten. I think. Really? I think when Moss was in New England, I think he had like 50 touchdowns. Not fair. Like, dude, like, 
I might have to tape at that 50. I don't know if he got 50 touchdowns in New England. That's a lot of touchdowns. I mean, he but, had 24 in the 2007 MVP season for Brady. He broke the record for most in a, in a, in a, in a year. They so broke it, the same. It, yeah. It's reasonable to assume. I don't think it was 50, but it was probably 43, 44. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's what happens. You, you get an all, you get literally a hall of fame receiver on that team and look what happens. So I, I yeah, with, with Matt Stafford, I'm like, don't get me wrong. They put up stats between the two of them, but nothing to show for it as far as a decent winning, a decent winning season and like solid playoff appearances. Neither which really they didn't really amount to much in that in that regard. Absolutely not, and that's sad. You know that that the talent that Megatron was and the uh, the young up and coming arm that Matt Stafford had out of Georgia, we thought that combination was going to be a. Uh, I know early comparisons were the Dante Culpepper. Randy Moss, Minnesota days because of just this man literally would throw it up and, and Johnson would go and get it. So I I feel bad for the guy, but, I mean, if he wanted to, he could have left. And then the head coaching situation, that front office, that ownership committee, kind of they kind of failed him. So I have no idea what's going to go on. Stafford, to me, is, an, is, a, is, a, is a Hall of Famer at the end of it, hopefully number-wise. But, you know, the team not building around him, that's not his fault. True, true, true. But I mean, that's the end of the episode, man. I do appreciate you for coming out here, man. Uh, you guys got to go and check out the Home Field Podcast, bro. Great content every week, two to three episodes. I'm waiting for this guy to pass me in the next week or two in terms of total episodes. Uh, it's got a YouTube page. Go out and subscribe. Go out and like, support, watch. You know, an incredible guy, one of my best friends, and I'm I'm just happy you were able to come onto the show this week, man. I really appreciate it. No, well, for sure, man. And. I mean, I'm going to have Kev on probably tomorrow. We're going to have him on tomorrow on my podcast. We're going to definitely go over the uh, all of the uh, the trades that have been going on in the NBA the last couple of days, kind of dive into each one, assess like where each team is at after all of these trades. So if you guys want to check that out, check out the Home Field Podcast. We should put up that episode. I mean, I'll probably put it up on Thanksgiving. I know everybody's going to be doing their thing on Thanksgiving. So, But, yeah, if you get a chance to listen to it, It'll definitely be a fun episode, just me and Kevin diving into all the NBA trades for my next episode. So definitely give that a look. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited. I mean, this isn't like 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 we've been talking about for all sports. This isn't exactly traditional off seasons, especially with this season literally being already like four weeks away, and the season felt like it just ended yesterday. But the moves, the signings, the trades, the draft, everything was wild, and I can't wait to talk about it. And uh, I'm going to be trying to post another episode over the weekend while everybody's kind of recovering from their bloated stomachs, give you some some time to recover and listen and kind of like relax over the extended weekend that most of us are going to have. So look forward to that as well. And I uh, can't wait to record tomorrow. So again, Kyle, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us today at the 104.6.1 podcast. If you haven't already followed, follow on our Instagram page and uh, be seeing you guys again soon, man. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid. 
Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast.